And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The race is on, but it's all over for Mattia Bonotto at Ferrari, as he has resigned as team principal. But did he jump, or was he pushed? Why did it happen, and who will take his place at the helm of the good ship Marinello? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer those questions and more are Scott Mitchell-Malm and Mark Hughes. Well, Scott, the first thing I was thinking about this is this is great material for our first live podcast that we're going to get straight in and tell people about at the start of it. We're going to have to get into the wider picture of Ferrari's struggles then, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Especially as by the time we do that, we'll obviously be looking ahead to uh, the 2023 season and uh, all of Ferrari's ambitions for that, which I I think have taken a blow with with, with what we're going to discuss on on this podcast. But who knows? Maybe Mattia Bonotto he won't he'll probably not be doing anything by February next year. Maybe we can try and uh, line him up as an additional special guest. Yeah, well, our special guest that we will have will be Ted Kravitz, of course, from Sky Sports F1. If you'd like to get your ticket, it's on February the 12th as part of Pod Live, which is a week-long sports podcast festival. So get your tickets for that as we're going to be talking about all things F1, looking ahead to the season, loads of big talking points we'll be tackling there. And we might even hang around after to say hello if anybody wants to challenge us about our many F1 opinions. And Mark Hughes, well... It's kind of a landmark for the race, isn't it? Because this is the first time since the race has been in existence that Ferrari's team principle has changed. So uh, we're always going to get to this day, I guess. Yes, I guess so. Um, well, we, hopefully we, we're going to, because um, otherwise we'd have a short-lived uh, podcast, wouldn't we? But uh, yeah, um, it's happened. It's been about to happen for some time. And uh, yeah, the, the moment has come. To be fair, if um, if the podcast of the Race F One podcast had launched in I don't know twenty fourteen or something like that, we wouldn't have had, we we could have been around for six months and still missed out on a Ferrari Formula One team principal change. So they do happen fairly regularly, at least. 
yeah, you can set your watch by them pretty much. And there's some fairly repetitive storylines that emerge that we're going to get into. So, Scott, let's start off with exactly what Ferrari and Mattia Bonotto have said officially. It's very much portrayed as his resignation, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's the uh, that's what's been announced by Ferrari. And I think that is sort of broadly in line with how it's played out behind the scenes and what speculation there there has been. There, there, there were rumours ahead of the season finale in Abu Dhabi that... Ferrari were lining up to to, to bin off Bonotto and uh, replace him with uh, Fred Vasseur, who's obviously in charge of the Sauber team. Um, but that got publicly denied, or at least the speculation around Bonotto's future was publicly denied. Which, if you combine that with the fact that Bonotto's now resigned, you and Ferrari's claim that they don't have a successor uh, lined up, they need they're, they're starting that process and hope to get it done by the start of 2023. You could draw the conclusion that. Ferrari never intended to get rid of Bonotto and he's just walking entirely of his own accord as an overreaction to to all of that speculation and whatnot. But I think that would be a little bit too simplistic. I think we can can take it as read that things aren't rosy behind the scenes or haven't been. I think there's a disconnect between uh, Ferrari's ultimate boss, John Elkin, maybe the CEO, Benedetto Vigna, and obviously Bonotto himself. And... Look, Bonotto may may well have genuinely resigned, but if he has, it's because he doesn't think he can work in an environment like that where he doesn't trust the the people in charge or doesn't think that the people in charge trust him. So yeah, officially on the surface, a resignation, but I don't think it's anywhere near as straightforward as Bonotto deciding, I don't want to do this anymore. As he said in the the quote that and that accompanied the announcement, he does this with regret. He he wouldn't have done this unless he he felt in some way forced to. Well, it was only a few weeks ago that he got the dreaded vote of confidence from Ferrari, uh, wasn't it? So everyone's very surprised that's immediately followed by something like this. But Mark, it seems pretty clear that there was certainly a degree of push in this, let's put it that way. Yeah, there was a a relentless sort of (sighs) move to... Yeah, there was a relentless push in that direction. Um, How gentle or firm that push was, we don't know at this stage. But, um, yeah, since the, the latter half of the season, um, sort of around Monza time, it really began to gather some momentum, went quiet for a little while after that, and then it was renewed, as Scott said, around um, Abu Dhabi. And uh, there were talks that, that, that um, various people uh, that felt they may be in line um, to take that position were, were briefing, and that only seemed to increase the clamour um, to um, for something to happen, and uh, yeah, the original uh, vote of confidence from uh, in, around the Abu Dhabi weekend was in response to Bonotto challenging John Alkin if it was true or not. Was told that it wasn't, uh, and said and and well, put a statement out saying that then, uh, which Elkin did, but it didn't. Um, there was still stuff going on in the in the background. Um, and at the very early stages, we'll, we'll, we'll probably get the, the further insight as, uh, in the next few days. But um, yeah, one would assume that uh, something else has come up and uh, that, that challenge has been repeated and Bonotto has not been satisfied with um, the response. And so has done the, uh, what he, I'm sure he will feel is the honourable thing. So Scott, if we had to suppose who had it in for Bonotto and wanted him out, what do you think the mechanics of this at, at the top level of Ferrari are? Yeah, it's it's obviously difficult to to say with any kind of certainty. 
how it works behind the scenes there but I can only speak from the from the impression that I I was given when especially when Louis Camilleri was there as CEO um which is very much that Bonotto was a Sergio Marchionne Louis Camilleri man that that was always the impression I I got um before before uh, Marchionne passed away he'd obviously put a few things in place for how he felt the the team needed to evolve uh, evolve part of that was obviously recruiting Charles Leclerc um and I think Bonotto replacing Maurizio Rivabene was a was a key part of that as well and then obviously when Marchionne passed away um Louis Camilleri was the CEO and Elkin became sort of the the big boss the the chairman but Camilleri always felt like the person that was there sort of almost working hand in hand with Bonotto. Um, it always felt like Camilleri was more involved, more sort of directly in tune with not only what the Ferrari F1 team was doing, but what it needed. And it was Camilleri and Bonotto that were really, really driving the culture shift, the need for a no-blame culture, the need to er eradicate the fear. I remember in the first time we spoke to Bonotto as team principal at the start of 2019, he was talking about wanting to make it fun again. Working in F1 needed to be fun at, uh, at Ferrari, and I think that was achieved to a reasonable degree. But anyway, what what I think this shows is that since Camilleri left as CEO quite suddenly at the end of 2020, I think he'd had some complications with COVID. And I think it caught Ferrari out that, that he walked away. A few months later, I think it was in the summer of 2021, Vigna joined as the new CEO. So you had a different axis in charge of Ferrari overall as of about a year ago, 18 months ago. You had a, a different chairman and CEO to the one that to the ones that recruited Bonotto and were then there at the start of his time in charge of the team. Um, so I don't think personally that Elkin and Wigner ever saw Bonotto as their preferred choice to, to lead the team. He he wasn't their guy. He was a carryover from something that predated them in charge of the wider organisation. And it wouldn't surprise me if they've looked at it and just gone, well, the way that we want this to run you've done a great job bringing us to where we are now, but we don't think you're the guy to take us further. You, you you can't do what we need you to do to change things behind the scenes. So there's a fundamental disconnect there. The key question is, do Alkin and Vigna know what a Formula One team needs? Do they know what is the best way to run a Formula One organisation? I'm not 100% convinced that they do. I think Elkin's history, I think he's too detached from it. I don't really know how involved Wigner's been, but he doesn't have the kind of background that immediately makes you think he's the sort of person that can identify a really great F1 team leader, but I could be wrong on that. All I know is that whatever decision they make in the next few weeks to lead Ferrari next year will have con consequences for years to come. So it has to be the right decision to justify what has happened to, to, to nudge Bonotto to the exit door. Yeah, I think um, picking up on that point, Scott, I'm not convinced that Elkin or Vigne have the necessary understanding of how a Formula One team operates, what a Formula One team needs to be successful, um, what the uh, cycles, how big the cycles are and how closely related they are to the environment, not just the facilities um, and the people. And I think that uh, they 
Um, Vinny is from a, a business background, Elkin, obviously automotive. And um, Marchioni, when he came in, uh, had a similar detached view and thought that an F1 team was just like any any other business and you just managed and he was going to manage it and came in very aggressive style and put his lieutenant there, Arriva Benny, in charge. And as it went on, a very smart man, Marchioni. He may not have come in knowing much or understanding much about Formula 1, but he very quickly grasped what the dynamics were and what the key to success was and realised that he'd appointed the wrong lieutenant and arranged for Benotto to replace him. And then, of course, he died, and then there was a little bit of delay before that happened. But it happened, and, yeah, he was... Benotto basically was the the, the technical guy that uh, that brought the success that was there in seventeen and eighteen under Riva Bene, um, but he was then uh, the, the 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 sort of no blame culture that you were talking about. He'd he'd infused the technical department with that and come up with the twenty seventeen Ferrari was one of the most original, technically influential cars in Formula One for for years and. It'd be fair to say f- the rival team sort of stood back when that came out and like, wow, because for years Ferrari had just done what the previous year's best car had done and sort of modified a little bit without any originality. And that was purely a function of um, people not putting their head up above the parapet because they, you know, because of the culture there. Um, Benotto got rid of all that within the technical department, but the race team was still being run like that. And uh, yeah, Marchioni had come to realise that. And so, yeah, he Benotto brought that to the race team, but it it's a um, proved a more problematical thing for him to solve than the um the the, the, the same thing in the the technical department. And it's been there for years. If you think back to, in terms of difficult operating in the field, difficulty operating in the field. If you think back to Fernando Alonso's days, he was always trying to run the strategy from the car because he had to. Sebastian Vettel, the same. Carlos Sainz this year. Um, there is something fundamentally wrong in the way that the team is uh, have, is making decisions in, in in those moments of fluidity and high stress, and some of the calls are so obviously wrong in real time that they cannot just be because they're idiots. It it, it it's got to be because the the system is breaking down and people are being overwhelmed. They've got too many things coming in in at them. Um, so that is uh, like a, a structural uh, problem that, need, that needs attending to. But uh, in terms of the progress of the team, um, you know, 2022, the season we just had, was always targeted as being, by 2022, we want to be winning a few races and you know being competitive. Well, that's exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. Um, but it, it, unfortunately for them, the car was so good that it was the you know the fastest car of the first half of the season that it it set it changed everybody's sights it certainly in senior management it seems that um this was a championship loss well actually this was <laughs> if they'd won this championship it would have been a massive bonus but it wasn't it wasn't that wasn't ever expected before the season but because it hasn't been achieved um Bernardo seems to be in the um whose head's gone on the block route we talked about the senior management's involvement, as in the senior management above the uh, the F1 team. But Scott, do you sense any internal forces that have been moving against Bonotto? Obviously, you've got a very p- powerful and very 
strong driver in Charles Leclerc who's been frustrated by the team. Do you think there's been any pressure from those quarters? Because we know how influential a star driver can be. Yeah, um, there, there has been quite a lot of, in, of speculation and uh, implications that the Leclerc camp has contributed to, to to this change. I think that just to just to bring those two forces together from sort of above and almost below or or to the side. Um, I think if you're looking at it from the point of view of Elkin and, and, and Wigner, you're looking to sort of put your stamp on the team, identify what it needs to be successful. And I can see why they would look at that and say, we need to make sure that, you know, Leclerc is the one who will be here long term and will be part of this success because we need to build the team around him. So if you take that as the starting point, because I'm convinced that will be how they're looking at it, you then have to go, okay, well, what does he need? So it's not a massive stretch to to imagine that Leclerc or the the people around him would say, well, we we need him to be the number one driver. You know, I don't think there's been any real sign of animosity between Leclerc and Sainz um, at all. I think they've worked really well as a, as a teammate pairing. But as Sainz gets more competitive, he is a threat to Leclerc's position in, internally, especially because... There are a couple of ways that signs works, which I can absolutely see being a threat to Leclerc. Um, I know that Leclerc felt that he was a bit sort of um, it was underestimated how much work he puts in behind the scenes to to, to motivate things. But but signs is a very is a great operator, and I don't mean that in a political sense. I just mean he's he, he's very thorough. He he knows the value of having the team on side. And there would have been a big push from him in that regard. But he's also more assertive. We look at the way he has sort of controlled a couple of scenarios when there have been dodgy strategic calls or questionable decisions in race from Ferrari. Sainz has pulled rank, whereas Leclerc's a bit too passive in that regard. With that in mind and the fact that there were sometimes some tensions, it felt, between Leclerc and Bonotto. We, we know that earlier in the season, Bonotto even went to Monaco to have dinner with Leclerc and that was sort of palmed off as, oh, no, this happens from time to time. Sometimes you need to between races. But it did. It definitely, definitely felt at the time like a bit of damage limitation going on because Bonotto recognised that there was potentially a little bit of tension creeping in and Leclerc's title bid was already falling apart and there was some there was some work to do there. If all of this has manifested itself in a scenario whereby the Leclerc camp wants to or needs some reassurances that Leclerc's not going to waste his time at Ferrari because there's a chance that Leclerc spends his prime years in a team that is just constantly undermining his bid to be world champion. So if, if the Leclerc camp are using that to basically say, look, we need evidence that this is going to improve and actually we think this guy might be a little bit of an obstacle to that, then I think it's perfectly understandable or at least logical to that we then end up in a situation we have now. But there is a lot of speculation in there. We don't know for certain whether this has been the manoeuvring behind the scenes from the Leclerc side. It's just it's not a it's not a big reach to to imagine it when you consider all of the things that have sort of gone on over the last over the last 12 months and ultimately Leclerc or at least the people around him will know that what Lewis Hamilton did at Mercedes what Michael Schumacher did at Ferrari, what Max Verstappen now has at Red Bull. Leclerc needs to be the big dog in that team. He needs to have the team basically working for his benefit if he's to be the driver's world champion. So that there will be an element of that within that. It's just what exact percentage it is, is really difficult to say from the outside, at least at the moment. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, Mark, you've touched on this already, but setting aside the question of succession, is this the right move from Ferrari purely from a team perspective? Obviously, there's the argument that they had a car that should have done better, should have won more than four races, repeated operational strategic errors. So does that reflect poor leadership? Did Bonotto need to go in order for the outstanding problems to be tackled now they've made all that technical progress under his leadership? No, I think it's absolutely the wrong decision. I think it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I think um, you're getting rid of the guy who brought you the technical success. Um, and regardless of whether you th- you think... Um, he should have been made team principal in the first place or not. Um, you can't then demote him. You can't send him from being team principal back to being technical director. It's not. It's not going to work. So um, no, it's it's the wrong. It's the wrong move. It's been made for the wrong reasons. I um I think uh, what was needed was uh, a more thorough assessment of what the structural problems were there and help and support in making those things happen. Um, and that's. The fact that the over delivers on the they have over delivered on the uh, level of competitiveness uh, that 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 should be what has put the other things in the in the spotlight just just tells you how imbalanced things are and you know Mercedes this year came up with a dog of a car top team um, with a rubbish car um, they made bad strategic choices with their tires in. Mexico um, and arguably Austin, but it's, it's, it would be ridiculous to be thinking uh, it's time for Total Wolf to go. Um, you know, uh, Red Bull came up with a fantastic car, but it was um, it was badly overweight, and you know they got the setup badly wrong at a couple of races that were perfectly winnable, and they didn't. But, but you don't you don't hear any anything about uh, Christian Horner's got to go. It's just just. What is needed is stability and to own for the whole structure to own the problem and work on what it what the answer is. Um, it isn't to keep changing bosses like light bulbs. That's that. That's not. That's not the answer. That's that's. Um, whoever they put in will face exactly the same problems all over again. Um, and you know, arguably, um, might take some time to get back to where they already were. The the only the only thing that really counts against Bonotto is any evidence that he was a genuine obstacle to the to the changes that weren't necessary to fix the underlying problems but it's really difficult to to identify whether that was the case because these aren't problems that emerged under Bonotto's leadership they are deep-rooted long-lasting problems at Ferrari that go back multiple team bosses and Sure, there were things about Ferrari that didn't change under under his leadership. And I think the biggest concern that I had in the middle of the year was that Bonotto wasn't really saying anything that suggested he would actually make the changes that were necessary. There, there was a bit too much. And I think it was just, I think I'd read this in something that Mark wrote. Um, 
there was almost like a just a tiny little misunderstanding of what a no blame culture actually is meant to achieve where it's he he was very good at taking away that blame but he he wasn't quite as effective as he probably needed to be in in really understanding that what that means is you do then make the changes that that you need to because you identify the areas of responsibility and where there where there are weaknesses you're meant to be able to make those changes without it resulting in x y or z being sacked or or anything like that but that's not to say that they wouldn't have got there because the messaging from Bonotto's side did change in the second half of the year. He did start to acknowledge errors. He did start to acknowledge shortcomings in the way that they do things, whether it was personnel, processes or tools. So maybe in 2023, we would have actually seen the fruits of some changes that were being made over the winter and also some evidence of other changes being implemented uh, along the way. Ultimately, a lot of the things that Ferrari fell short on this year... Bonotto takes overall responsibility for absolutely, but were they his direct department? Or you know, if you were going to point fingers, should Lauren Mechies be taking the blame? Should the people in charge of development at, at Maranello or the you know the engine work that was done on reliability take the blame for all the different bits and bobs that went wrong through through the year? And I think it would be very cheap for Bonotto to try and single out these people because he has been trying to move Ferrari away from that. But it is a collective failure because there wasn't one area that they completely dropped the ball on. So the way I see it is that there was a really actually quite a... There there was no real downside to Bonotto having the full support of the organisation into 2023 because he was either going to make the changes and there was going to be an improvement which had a massive upside or they were just going to continue as a team that can win races but not win the championship, which is exactly what they've been for the last decade and a half. So there's not really any regression there. And I think I think the key now, and we won't, we might never know the answer to this, but the one thing that will be really interesting to try and work out in the next few weeks or months, certainly before the season starts, is what was Bonotto saying or doing behind the scenes that seemed to clash with the progress Ferrari needed to, to, to make I I'm really not convinced he was that much of an obstacle to it but it, it, he might have been and if he was then maybe he wasn't the right person to, to to be in charge but I certainly think he's a he's a symptom of a wider issue within Ferrari rather than the primary cause yeah and I think um what part of that is the issue of, of, of empowerment where you where the boss isn't really the boss he's just another employee ultimately and um, the only time Ferrari has been properly successful where it could win titles like the Charles play was when he didn't have that. It was when you had a genuine boss. You had John Todd and Ross Braun and essentially Michael Schumacher as well. They, that, that trio of people just did not allow any interference in. They, they, kept, they kept it out um, and they made themselves empowered. Now, in a way that um, arguably someone who has joined there from university and has worked there all his life, all his working life, which is what Bonato has, um, couldn't ever be. He will always be an employee. Um, so I think there is an element of um, really the way that Ferrari, history suggests that the way Ferrari needs to be run, the way that you pull all those disparate elements together is to have an outside gunslinger brought in and make them the boss and just mind your own, give them a budget and then mind your own business and just wait to let time work its way through. That's that's what history shows. Before that, it was unsuccessful. When it had that, it was the most successful team that Formula One had ever seen. 
up until that time. After that, when he got rid of it, it became what it was before. So I think the the, the pattern is pretty clear. Yeah, there's definitely a trend of Ferrari never really quite working in the way that a Formula One team needs to work. But I think it's entirely unfit for purpose in modern F1 because it gets exposed far more ruthlessly now. And just to bring back a couple of things that Mark mentioned earlier, like if you look at the way that Mercedes and Red Bull are run, the two teams that run rings around Ferrari for the last decade or so, they operate in a completely different way to Ferrari run. Um, the, the, The example of... Horner's position never coming under threat during the terrible start to the hybrid era for Red Bull, for example. The, you know, Toto's position not being questioned at the start of this year. They, they're great examples of how the kind of patience that exists at other teams because those those people do ultimately have an, an, an enormous amount of responsibility. At Ferrari, when you're the F1 team principal, you're always reporting to a higher and quite volatile power. And I don't see any F1 team working in quite the way that Ferrari does because Ferrari's not unique in being part of a bigger, more sprawling empire. You know, other teams do exist in that kind of ecosystem as well, but there's just a degree of independence at other teams that just doesn't exist at Ferrari. And, you know, whether it's 10% because of management meddling or 90% because of management meddling. There is ultimately a level of interference from people like the executive chairman and the CEO of the company that just doesn't exi- exist elsewhere. And I don't understand how a modern elite sporting organisation can prosper in that kind of environment. Because ultimately, Ferrari is now looking for its fifth team principal in the last, what, eight years, nine years? That, that is an absurd, absurd number. Even the Renault Works team, which has been spectacularly haphazard at times since it re-entered in 2016, hasn't had that level of upheaval. So I don't understand how Ferrari can genuinely think it's running or being run from a top level in a way that's compatible with success in Formula One, certainly not in the modern era. It's partly the football manager model, isn't it, which is problematic. Because you can say, yes, the team principal, Matteo Bonotto, is responsible for everything. So literally he is responsible, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's the source of the problem. So there might actually be reasons for getting rid of him that are independent of the problems they have, or there are reasons for keeping him that actually are despite the problems they've had. But... One of the reasons the the football manager has become such a powerful thing in football is because they're also a lightning rod for all criticisms, for all systemic failures. It all falls on the manager, even though a lot of what happens on the pitch can be a manifestation of multiple other cultural and, uh, and systemic forces that remain in place. There's continuity with those problems, but you have this bloodletting, this scapegoating, and everyone thinks, all oh, right, new regime, great. But as Mark said, that only happens if you get in a Jean Todd type figure, someone who's external, new broom, and can completely stamp their authority over the whole thing. So that would be my concern with Ferrari, that it's felt that just changing team principle is enough and they're treating it like a a football club changing manager, which so often doesn't actually pay off, but it is high profile and very very eye-catching. We should talk, Scott, about who's going to be the next Ferrari team principal, because obviously if they're going to oust their team principal, they'll have somebody lined up, the ideal candidate, won't they? Yeah, which they don't. And like I said earlier, you know, you can interpret that as meaning that they never actually intended to get rid of Bonotto and this has caught them completely unawares. But that's absolutely nonsense. There's no, there is no way, there's no way that this has just been a completely unilateral decision from Bonotto to, to, to walk. Um, you know, Fred Vasseur is still being talked about as the absolute favourite to, to get that job. But I'd be very, very concerned if I was a Ferrari fan that that hasn't been 
properly lined up. And if that was because of, you know, confidentiality agreements and the fact that things are going on behind the scenes and they can't talk about it, so they didn't talk about it, that would be fine. But but if I if that's the case, you don't put out in your press release that you're now beginning the process of identifying a replacement and you hope to get it finalised at the start of 2023 because it makes you sound totally incompetent. So they're either incompetent in one way or they're incompetent in another way, if you see what I mean. So it's just a, it's just a bit of a mess. And I... I think the bigger concern for me is that there, we're already hearing a few things about them looking at potential options and being rebuffed. That, for me, is an even bigger concern because we all know that being Ferrari team principal is basically a poison chalice. But it's very bad for it to be such a poison chalice that the only serious options in the F1 paddock are going, absolutely no, no way, I, I don't want to go there. Um, and there was even... Um, there was even one suggestion that they were seriously considering, you know, w- would it be possible to get Ross Braun back? And it's just like, come on, you just have no idea how, you have no idea what the team needs and and I don't think they know what they want, really. Um, if, it, if it's Vissure, then there will be really good elements to that because I like Fred. I think there's a lot of what he does that's good. Is he the right person to lead Ferrari? Not entirely sure, especially as I don't see him as being someone who will be handled the autonomy, or will be handed the autonomy, sorry, or will have the sort of strength of character or personality to dominate that team in a way that tells the chairman and the CEO, back off and leave me alone. So the way they're going about this whole thing has been so weirdly passive. And maybe it fits into the wider chaos that Ferrari loves to operate in from the at the very top, but... I, I don't think there are many good signs in, in the way that this has been communicated. This is the big problem, isn't it? It's easy to identify people who could do that job and could do it quite well, but it's very, very difficult to create a scenario where they might do it because you can think, well, an Andreas Seidel would be great to have. but Yeah, he'd be my pick. But why, why would he leave a McLaren team that he's in the middle of the process of revitalising? He's been given that power, the autonomy to take big strategic decisions. The Mercedes engine deal was driven by him. The wind tunnel commitment, the upgrade of the simulator, all the changes that have happened there are because they're giving him what he feels he needs. And he always talks about the importance of that. But Mark, do you see anyone like that, any cast iron, yeah, this would be the perfect person who would actually be willing to go there? Because I must admit, the list of credible candidates, people who'd actually go there, seems very short to me. Yeah, and I think the fact that you're not um, talking about uh, a sort of Toto Wolf, uh, Christian Horner type of um, boss, you're talking about um, employee type people at, at other places tells you tells you that it, it tells you that um, you know that a Ferrari aren't thinking. Um, of doing anything other than changing the person rather than changing the role, and B it tells you that the um, the, the those who would be in um, a position to be autonomous and the big boss wouldn't be interested in going to Ferrari because because of the role the role's wrong. Um, it's, it's a fundamentally flawed structure, and you're just going to get a Groundhog Day repeat. Whoever goes there will. You know, make changes. It'll ultimately not be enough to make them a title-winning team. There'll be increasing pressure. They'll be fired, and then somebody else will. It'll just go on and on. And um, you know, whether they can combine that with retaining the technical edge, um, I don't know, because that that was one strength that Ferrari did have under Bonotto, and uh, clearly a very very creative technical team. Um, this car is very. 
original. Um, it's in both the Teradynamics and its power unit. Um, there's great talent within there. Um, but will it now be marshaled? Well, you know, is it, um, it the fact that um, Bonotto's head has been um, taken, will that um, seep through the culture elsewhere and we revert to a team that's uh, where, where people are um, afraid to, to go out on a limb and be creative? It's all sorts of questions it raises. So, no, I think what we're seeing is um, the early stages of a, a, a long-term problem for Ferrari. I think um, I, I, I don't see this as the beginning of a, a recovery. I see this as the beginning of um, deeper problem. That point about it not being the kind of role that a Horner or Wolf type has is absolutely spot on. Because if you run, if you look through the other teams, the team principal isn't just the team principal, actually. In a lot of the, a lot of cases, they're also the, the CEO. So Horner is the CEO of Rebel Racing. Wolf's a shareholder in in, in Mercedes, okay, at somewhere like Alpine and McLaren, for example, you have a team principal feeding into a CEO, but Seidel, as Ed was pointing out, um, does have an awful lot of autonomy there. He's given a lot of responsibility from Zach Brown because Zach acknowledges that Seidel is the one who who knows best in, in that scenario. At Alpine, I think they learned this year that Otmar Zafnau, the team principal, needs more autonomy than having Lauren Rossi, the Alpine CEO, meddling in in too much stuff. At Sauber, Vasseur is the CEO of the company as well as the team principal. Um, Aston Martin has a slightly more complicated structure, um, but... Williams, it's the same thing. CEO and team principal is is Jos Capito, and then somewhere somewhere like Haas as well. One of the reasons that Haas operates quite well within its own brand of F1 team or subgenre of F1 team is because Steiner is ultimately not the big, big, big boss, but he is basically left to run that team however he sees fit. Um, and if you can survive some of the stuff that Haas has been through over the last two or three years and not get sacked, then you know that Steiner is in a very, very secure position there. Ferrari is totally at the whim of a, of a senior management structure, completely. If they don't want you in there as team principal anymore, that's it, you're gone. Or you will be frozen out or you will be put in a position where you want to walk away. So, yeah, they, they, they don't have a, a situation that works there like a lot of the other successful F1 teams do. And the, I think what's even worse, if you compare it to something like the McLaren situation, for example, where you have the CEO and the team principal as separate roles, the Ferrari CEO is a much, much more complicated role than Zach Brown's role is as McLaren Racing CEO. So, yeah, there's just, I think there are, I think there are some really deep-rooted problems there. And I would absolutely support Mark's point that Unless there's absolute fundamental change, this is a this is the beginning of a, a a worrying cycle for Ferrari. One that they were just starting to look like they might have the faintest inkling of an idea how to get out of. But now the people that are spearheading that charge, which are Camilleri and Bonotto, to be honest, they're they're, they're gone. So I, I think this ushers in quite a few more problems than it does solutions. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. 
No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Well, let's finish with wrapping up the, the big picture. We've talked about the problems that this creates. Ferrari's on its 15 principle in less than a decade. It's a team that's had a lot of success, but it's also underachieved, probably more than it's achieved given the potential it's had. So this just seems another step. Mark, how big an impact, negative impact, do you think this will have on the short term? Because normally we would expect a team that's jumped out of the midfield, that's been a race winner, that's had a very quick car one year, to aim to take the step up to be a championship challenger next year. Can you see this helping that cause or can it only hinder it having this upheaval particularly seeing as they seem slightly uncertain about the future leadership yeah i think um ultimately it, it hinders it but i think there may be enough momentum from the um you know the the, the great strides have made technically to to carry it through um still have a competitive car next year and if you can then begin to attack the underlying problems whoever gets that job um, then you know you've got a good chance of of, of having a, a reasonable start uh, at least to whoever to to the new guys um, f- first uh, you know in, initial few few races and maybe maybe a season or so but the underlying the the, the fundamental problems from above the structural problems um, remain and it, it it will just I see this cycle repeating and my concern would be that. Um, yeah, the, 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 they'll have enough momentum, I would think, to still be technically good, to have a good car probably uh, in 2023. But my concern would be that it seeps through and uh, reverts to being unadventurous technically as well. But what you said there isn't without some hope for Ferrari fans, because you could say, Scott, that if they do have that continuity, the technical progress, if they do get in the right person who can tighten up things like the strategy and the operational problems then it could actually build on what Bonotto's done there. So we shouldn't discount the possibility that they could have an ace up their sleeve. They could have a great candidate we don't think is credibly going to come in. They could have a Jean Tot-like figure who, of course, came across from the Peugeot sports car programme when he came in and joined Ferrari in the middle of 1993. So it is possible, isn't it? I know it doesn't seem like it now, but we can't rule out the possibility there could be an inspired move below all of this. You were doing such a good job of saying that with a straight face and sounding entirely serious right until the very end where the, the, the veil slipped ever ever so slightly. I, I agree with you that there, there could be all of that, but I'd be stunned if there there is. Um, I I think that there's... I I know it doesn't look like it on the surface, but I, I do believe that Ferrari is closer to achieving its goals than it has been probably for, for quite a few years now. Um, 
So if someone good does come in, or that team finds a way to operate retaining the strengths of the structure that has been put in place over the last few years, so that's mainly on the technical side, and works at eradicating those sporting and operational weaknesses, then yes, Ferrari's in a good position to, to, to build on it. But I see this more as an unnecessary and unwelcome disruption in a process that was already a multi-year process. And the risk is just that you start from zero. Um, or certainly much closer to zero than you do the the form that it was taking. Because don't forget, whoever comes in will have their own way of wanting to work. And I think if you've had a fundamental rift emerge between the powers that be and someone like Bonotto, then that does indicate that things need to be changed. But do they need to be changed in the way that the person coming in will want to change them? That That's obviously a big part of what the Ferrari top brass will now need to work out. When they recruit this new person... How do they fit into the way they want the team to run and how the team needs to run? So, yeah, I would say let's not be totally doom and gloom about it because I think there's every chance that Ferrari will have a car next year that's capable of fighting for wins. Will it be capable of fighting for a championship? Impossible to say at this stage. As a team, will it be able to fight for a championship? Well, it should be closer than it is in 2022. But I think we won't see the effects of this until a bit longer term because ultimately everything that Bonotto has put in place, let's assume he is the greatest team principal that's ever lived or even close to that, you will you will have the effects there. That, that will still show in 2023. He just won't be around to take the credit for it. But will that last beyond 23? No, it won't because there will be disruption and problems that set in beneath that. And if, if Bonotto hasn't done the stuff that they needed to do and the new person doesn't do a good enough job, then that it won't change anyway. So so it's just with short term we aren't going to see whether this is good for Ferrari or bad for Ferrari. I think it's something that we'll we might be able to start to take a view on in about 12 months time so we can pencil that podcast in now which is some excellent forward planning. But in terms of actually what this means for Ferrari, I think it's long term before we see exactly how this plays out. But the very fact that it is so long term that there is so much lag in the system. Teams don't turn around even over the course of a year now, it's very, very long term. I guess, Mark, that illustrates how difficult it is to understand the complexity of these teams. Mattia Bonotto was at the top of an organisation of hundreds of people, probably into thousands if you include the engine department as well. So this is a huge operation with so many moving parts that understanding that complexity is a huge challenge. That would be a huge challenge for anyone coming in as well you know you probably spend the first six months trying to understand what you're dealing with if you're coming from the outside and if you're coming from the inside then you're probably tainted with the same cultural problems that have led to some of these strategic and operational errors so hugely complex isn't it it is and that time lag that you talk about um just sort of you know makes the the complexity you know mind-numbing really and that's i think one of the key things that the, the senior management really um, have no understanding of because you really need to be right in the weave of a team to understand how it works and what um can imagine trying to work out what what are non-causation correlations and what are causation correlations you know because there's so many things changing over such a big period of time um and trying to understand how what what impact a change has had or um what um where where a problem might be originating from when 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 the someone when the the time lags are so big and the the system's so complex um yeah it's it it's uh, it's being run by ultimately it's being run by people detached 
from understanding how a team works, how any Formula One team of this size and complexity works. Yeah, I think at the bottom line is that that's what concerns me, that the reasons for the replacement of Mattia Bonotto are not necessarily the right ones, even though there may be reasons why it should be changed because ultimately he was the guy who's name was metaphorically above the door in terms of controlling the team and obviously he's been there for a few years he was a big part of the engine controversy of course when it was never proven as the FIA said but they had suspicions the engine was running outside of the regulations and that led to the collaboration with the FIA on technical directives etc so some people have said well that was a big part Binotto's fault as well so the recovery he's been spearheading was from something he was involved in so there's lots and lots of different narratives you can spin here but I think what really defines it is what the next move is. And that's the key, isn't it, Scott? They've got to come up with the absolutely the correct appointment. And the fear is they're sat there now looking around at the field of candidates and they're just looking for a convincing enough name who they can put in and look credible rather than really thinking, right, we have got the ideal candidate who can come in and control this team the way it needs to be. Yeah, um, I, I think... I think that's absolutely spot on. Um, the concern I would I, I have is that there isn't even someone who, and obviously like, because they would come in from left field, like we wouldn't really be able to identify them now. But when Aston Martin, for example, brought in Mike Crack in replay in place of Otmar Zafnauer, that was someone that I don't think anyone had on our radar. But actually, as an appointment, we all sort of looked at it and went, that's a really, really good move because that team and structure, clearly the team principal isn't going to have a massive amount of total authority. He will be ultimately reporting into one, maybe even two people. But as someone that can just get on with running the race team in a really good way, that's a great appointment. So, yeah, maybe there's one or two people out there like that that Ferrari will be able to dig out. But... My concern is that my concern is that yeah they're now looking at a, a shortlist that's not exactly um, particularly convincing. It feels like one of those um, shortlists that emerges from a long list of candidates that you don't whittle down. It gets whittled down for you. Um, and if that's the case, I think it will be very difficult to identify exactly the person Ferrari needs. And in any case, I think if they find someone good for next year, I don't think I don't think that's good enough long term. I think they need to try and find a different way to structure the upper management of, of that team. And that is ultimately a, a far bigger um, project and will need people like the chairman and CEO to buy into, which uh, let's just say at the moment, I don't see much evidence of that existing. Well, we haven't had a Ferrari restructure announcement for about five minutes, so it's a good excuse at least to have some of that kind of thing. Usually it's been technical department in recent years, but they can uh, they can present it as a restructure if they don't have the ideal solution. But I'm sure we're going to be coming back to this topic in a podcast coming soon when we know what they're doing with that leadership. So thanks very much, Scott Mitchell-Malm and Mark Hughes, for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen, as there's loads to read there, both on the future of Ferrari and all the big talking points in F1. Also check out our sister podcasts, including the Race F1 Tech podcast and bring back v10s and also have a look at our youtube channel and although we're well in the off season there's still plenty to talk about so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of formula one the athletic